With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur.com. Of course, we don't just talk about entrepreneurship, but he's got so many things going on and his insights into business, history, always finding like weird things in whatever he's researching and exploring. But anyway, we talk about the ABCs, everything you need to know about getting wealthy from franchising. But then we go on and talk about all these different topics. Like we, we just had a fun conversation. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And here's Jason. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. When in college, I feel like I mastered the art of doing the minimum required to kind of essentially graduate because there's no point in 90% of the classes and people will argue, That's but right. like I was a computer science major. So I had to take four years, years of calculus, which made no sense to me. So here's what I did. <laughs> like calculus was like, let's say math 484. And I took math 701, which was like a logic class cross-listed with philosophy. It was really like a philosophy class that happened to have like it was a graduate level math class. It was just listed yeah. as that. And so I said I to the this. secretary of the department, I'm already in graduate level math classes. Why do I have to go backwards and take math 484, which is fourth year of calculus? So she said, yeah, you're right. So she just waived four years of calculus requirements <laughs> for me. And I was able to graduate a year early because of that, because there was no way I was going to be able to take four years of calculus in three years. I love that. Well, I love that she was open to that and open to the logic of it. So... I mean, I, I basically figured out in, I don't know, I guess probably high school is when I figured this out, that the majority of the efforts that could be spent on school were better spent elsewhere because I didn't, I didn't need a lot of what I was getting in these classes, right? Like the, this, it was a weird exercise in learning stuff for the sake of showing that I could learn it. And I, I kind of resented that. And so I instead figured out what do I need to do? What is the minimum amount of energy that is required to accomplish the things that people being teachers and my parents needed me to do? And then I'm going to spend that energy on other things. And that in high school, that was actually, uh, it was like I had a blog <laughs> and also I was writing for local music magazines. And then I got to college and I poured a lot of that energy into the local, into the student magazine. And my parents, I remember, they noticed that I was doing this and they were pushing me to apply myself more to school. And I kept telling them, it, like, it doesn't 
it doesn't matter. Like, I just need to accomplish, the, I need to check the boxes. And then the energy that I put on other things is that's going to matter a lot more. And you know what? They now tell me, you were right. You were right. Because the things that I was doing in school with my kind of side energy, the, like, the time that I had carved out for myself, really was the stuff that ultimately built my career because I, I learned how to write and I learned how to communicate. And, yeah. then, um, and then I've been doing that ever since. Every job that I ever take, including this one that I have right now as the editor-in-chief of a national magazine, I basically figure out what is the minimum amount of me that a job requires so that I can figure out how to expand myself in, in other directions. And, and I don't think that this is... I don't think that I'm doing a disservice to entrepreneur by doing that. I actually think that I'm doing a service to entrepreneur because I am I'm making all these new connections. I'm I'm amplifying myself and thus the brand by association in all these other ways, books, speaking, whatever. Like nobody's asking me to do this, but I'm doing it. Also, you've you've personally been experiencing things that entrepreneur could potentially, you know, entrepreneur magazine totally. could potentially like for instance you were an experimenter in podcasting. I'm not saying, I say experimenter, like you weren't the first podcaster, but you no, you right. were an editor-in-chief of a magazine who dabbled in podcasts and more than dabbled, you had very successful podcasts and, and I think you still do. And yeah. uh, uh, that is an experience that it lets you see, should Entrepreneur Magazine be diving into mm -hmm. podcasts? Should Entrepreneur Magazine uh, encourage more book writing underneath the brand? And all these things, like if you were the only alternative you have, if you wanted to spend more time as editor, would be micromanaging your staff. That's totally right. Presumably, you're good enough at hiring that you don't have to micromanage your staff. So that's I, exactly right. I agree with that. Like, and and also the thing about like you working on the student newspaper. This is a very important concept. You only learn something by doing that something. Like yes. Babe Ruth didn't read books about baseball and watch YouTube videos about baseball. He swung the bat a lot. <laughs> and yes. that's, people make that mistake. They think you have to, yes, okay, there's a little benefit to watching how-to YouTube videos and doing Duolingo to learn a language and, you know, reading about, I don't know, entrepreneurship in order to be an entrepreneur. But the only, that's 5% to 10% or maybe even a little bit more of the learning. But 80 to 90% of the learning is doing what you have to do. Yes. And I'll just give another example. Like, yeah, I'm always giving the example of chess because I'm trying to improve at that. I could read all the books in the world, nothing, and those will all benefit me, but nothing will improve me more than playing a good, slow game, which I analyze later. What did I do wrong? What was I thinking? Why was I thinking this? That is the 80% of my improvement. Yes. I couldn't agree more. And so if you are a parent, I think that you need to recognize that your your kids need to go through a lot of experimentation to figure out the thing that they're ultimately going to really engage with. And that means they need that time to do. And they're going to, they have to steal that time from something because we overschedule kids' lives and there's so much schoolwork that is frankly purposeless, and, which isn't, look, I'm not here to be like, education is bad. Education is not bad. Education is great. But like, I just think there's like a lot of things that are asked of students that are completely purposeless. And then, and then if you are, if you were in a leadership role at a company, like James, I, I maybe you've heard this too, but like, I've talked to so many people who have this same origin story about how they started their business. It goes like this. 
They're like, so I was working at this big company. I was working at a bank or whatever, right? And uh, and then on the side, I started to build this other thing that I was really into. And, um, and it was really exciting. And then one day, my boss found out about it. And they were like, you have to shut that down because you have to devote all of your energy to work. And so instead, you know what I did? I quit that job and I do this other thing now that I built and I'm so much happier for it. And like every time I hear that story, I want to like go find the manager that told this person that they had to like quit their side hustle and refocus on their full-time job and be like, you idiot. Like You just chased away your best employee because your best employees are the entrepreneurial ones. They're the ones who will give you like 100% of whatever you need. And then they're going to steal 50% of their own energy because they have 150% energy to begin with. And they're going to do something else with it. And as a result, they're going to develop more ideas that are going to be beneficial to you. And they're going to be more excited, which means that they're going to have more energy for you. It is only to your benefit that people do things outside of what you're asking them to do. Only to your benefit. And yet people don't get that and they chase away their best people. That's really true. And and by the way, when you were telling that story, I guess because you're, again, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, so you hear these stories a lot, but you literally yeah. were writing my biography. <laughs> like, that's what happened to me. I was working at HBO. I was doing a great job building their website. So people asked me to do websites. So I was doing it on the side. My boss found out. And I had to make a decision and I started my first company, which was a great yeah. success. And he warned me, we're never going to hire you back here. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. And then okay. several years later, they did offer me a very high position <laughs> back at HBO, which of course I turned down. HBO's loss. Yeah. Great company though. I always have to say, but, um, but we're here to talk about something that I did last time we were talking, I didn't know that you were this expert on franchising. Like that's kind of where you, where Entrepreneur Magazine sort of had its roots. And so, and so you have a lot of knowledge and experience and consulting experience and so on. And initially, like when I was a kid, I would always think, oh my God, franchising is the most boring thing in the world. That's got to be a boring business. Yeah. Do I really want to own a McDonald's franchise or whatever? But it turns out I've met over the years, many people who have, who have made tens to hundreds of millions of dollars in franchising. I'll give you just one quick story. I was on my yeah. honeymoon. Was in Paris, was having you know as one does. I was having dinner with my new newlywed wife. This was like in the nineties in in the Eiffel Tower restaurant, and the couple next to me was an older couple, and they were celebrating. And I said, "What were you? What are you celebrating?" And they just sold, or they took public. No, sorry, they took public, and then they just vested and sold their shares of a franchise chain they had of like a bunch of small random pizza places. And they made like $40 million. <laughs> Amazing. So, and like, Amazing. it's like one of those things where, well, don't you need a lot of money? Isn't it 12 hours a day of work? And yeah. I have more stories, but I want to hear your, your experience. Yeah. So, okay. So first let me, I, I'll sort of level set here. Entrepreneur Magazine came out of the franchising world 40 something years ago. And we still maintain very deep ties to the world, even though now it's a it's an independent company. But we cover franchising a lot and really think of ourselves as partners in the franchise space. And so the the magazine itself, like the print magazine, has um, like a third of the magazine is devoted every issue to franchising. And we are also very, you know, like there's every franchise convention we're at, we we work very closely with franchises. I would not consider myself personally to be, I, would, I wouldn't walk around calling myself a franchise expert, but because I've spent like many, many years now in this space and I've gone to the conventions and I've talked to tons of people, um, I've absorbed a lot of it. And, and I also had the same exact impression that you did, which is before I got to entrepreneur, I thought, 
Franchising is super boring. It the only thing I know about it is McDonald's, and uh, and I I can't imagine when I when I was looking at this magazine and considering this job, I really I thought to myself, I do not have any idea how I am going to find the energy to care about franchising. Uh, like it just seems like the right. most well, boring thing. Yeah, what does it seem boring to you about it? Like like because there's entrepreneur and and this is a the, and a very important thing about entrepreneurship. There's like yeah. oh man, I'm going to start a new AI crypto tech startup and be worth a billion. And right. then there's the other side. And, and by the way, and, and, and the, the statistic of 90% of those fail is very true. It might be more like 95%. And then there's the other side, which doesn't fail. Like if you <laughs> get a McDonald's franchise, you're probably not going to fail and you're probably going to make money. And I use McDonald's as an example because I believe them or Subway are the biggest franchisers. There's lots of types of franchises, not just restaurants, but go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The the number one for for it's worth. We put out this thing called the franchise five hundred every uh, every year, and uh, for two years running, uh, we, the the next one isn't out yet for twenty twenty three. But the, for two years running, Taco Bell has been the number one franchise. Um, so and Taco Bell is owned by some big company owns like uh, all those things. Like that's why they're all together in in the train station. Taco right, Bell. So, yeah, so right. So it's called Yum Brands. Uh, it's, ah. it, 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 which is actually Yum Brands because it's it's Yum exclamation mark. So um, yeah, y- uh, so Yum Brands owns Taco Bell along with a whole bunch of others. Uh, KFC, Pizza Hut, the Habit Burger gr- uh, Grill. So uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a giant company. So um, so okay, I thought it was boring because. It just seemed like, uh, you know, it just seemed like a. Well, first of all, I didn't under, I didn't know the depth of it, right? Which we'll get into because it turns out that franchising is incredibly wide and deep, and there's like a million different kinds of franchises, and also that you could anybody could create a business and then franchise it, which is which I also didn't understand, right? Like I just thought that franchising is dominated by like a handful of major players, and it's basically like you buy a McDonald's or you don't, and that's franchising. But then I I got into it and what I discovered was, okay, first of all, you know, there are a world of people who want to run their own business and don't have an idea for that business. <laughs> or or, or they, they don't want to, or they have an idea, they have an idea of what they want to get into, but they don't want to just start from scratch. And, um, and franchising is this kind of fascinating answer to this question because, um, what you can do is identify a, a brand that excites you and then create a version of it and they'll basically give you a roadmap and all sorts of support and then you can start this business. And uh, it's weird. Every year when we look at the traffic data at entrepreneur.com, there's this story. It's one story. It's been, it, it's been live for years and years. It's one story that just like kills on traffic every year. And it is need a business idea? Here are 52. <laughs> it's, it's like literally, it's like a list of business. It's just like random. Um, and I don't know who wrote it. It was so many years ago. But anyway, the reason that I tell you that is because there's a world of people who really would like to take control of their lives. They would really like to own something. And um, and it turns out that there's a large variety of ways in which you can do that. And, and franchising turns out to be this really wonderful way in which you can be an owner of a business and grow and build something really substantial, but you don't have to start from scratch. And on the flip side, there are all these people who are really ambitious, who are building these brands, who are trying to figure out how to grow them by working with lots of people like that, lots of franchisees who want to 
join them and then navigate this complicated relationship where they're all working together and the the franchisee, which is the person who owns the franchise, doesn't work for the brand. They actually own part of the brand, but they have to take some direction from the brand. It's like a very complicated human dance. And I, and I found the whole thing to be totally fascinating and very productive and full of really ambitious, smart, excited people who are building great things. And uh, who doesn't want that? So, so like, let's go through an example. Like, yeah, let's take McDonald's as an example. Uh, Cause again, sure. that's like the classic example or, but it, and it, again, it could be like a car wash place or right. you know, a car dealership yeah. or whatever, but it costs money to be a McDonald's yes. franchisee or, or, or whatever. Franchisee. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. then you have to go to Hamburger university to learn how yes. to run a McDonald's you and you have to be very strict about their rules and stuff. Why can't I just start my own hamburger place for less money and start up that way? Right. Well, you you sure could. So, um, so you could, and and frankly, if that's what you would like to do, I think that you should. I mean, I, I, I get excited by new ideas and by seeing like seeing seeing something fresh being tried in the world. And and let's be honest, and McDonald's would agree that's not owning a McDonald's franchise, right? Like owning a McDonald's franchise is is the opposite of that. It is. Um, entering an established system and bringing something very familiar to a community that doesn't have it. Um, so if you want to start your own for, uh, burger joint, then you totally should. Now, the challenge that you're going to have, that you're going to have to figure out how to overcome, is that, number one, nobody knows you. And so that means that you have to figure out how to introduce yourself to your community convince them that they should come into your hamburger joint instead of some other hamburger joint. And then you also have to, you're basically going to start from scratch on logistics. How do you source the food? How do you make the food? How do you serve the food? What do you price the food at? It's, it's very hard. And this is the reason why so many restaurants fail. If you buy a McDonald's, uh, a lot of that is taken care of for you. You, you. you have an existing brand that everybody already knows. McDonald's headquarters is pouring, you know, 17 quadrillion dollars into marketing every year. And so people walk by a McDonald's, they immediately know what it is. They know exactly what they're going to get. And you have been taught exactly how to make it. And also you're plugged into their their entire system. So you don't have to figure out how to source your own food. They give you all the food. They give you all the equipment. They give you all the, the recipes yes. and how to train the employees. Right. And, and also, like if you look at an, a great example, this is at the airport. There could be a Starbucks and, a, and just a random coffee shop side by side, but the line is like down the hallway for the Starbucks, like brand value is important. So that's what you're, you're, right. you're, you're, you're buying a, a, people know how, if a McDonald's restaurant is in a good location, and by the way, they're all in good locations because that's how McDonald's operates. You know, right. there's almost a formula for figuring out how much profit you're going to make per year. Like, you know, in advance, you're going to make money. And and they know and they'll tell you. I mean, you know, they they won't guarantee it, right. obviously. Um, but but they'll tell you here is an estimate of of what it looks like based on your area and 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 you know and what you could make. Now, um, uh, now I well, we should be clear on something, which is that the average person actually cannot buy a McDonald's, <laughs> um, and the reason for that is because the those like gigantic brands. They like to work with very established operators who are going to own um, m- many units, uh, right? So they don't want to work with someone who's never run a restaurant before and wants to buy a McDonald's. Uh, they would much rather work with an established person who already owns like 
50 or 100 McDonald's and is now looking to add 20 more. So that's a little challenging, but you can go you can go much further down on the list and you can find a a bazillion different kinds of of things. So like, here's an example that I I always love to use is a, a very small franchise. They might only have like one or two units open right now, uh, but we we had included them in this piece a little while ago called Happy Cat Hotel and Spa. So this is this is basically uh as a place to that that'll take care of your cat while you're wherever you're at work or you're you know out of town. And um, the reason that they came on our radar was because I uh, I had assigned a reporter to do a story on the misperceptions that people have about what makes a good franchisee. Because a lot of franchises really struggle with that people think that the franchise is looking for... And these terms are all confusing, so I'll just remind you because they all sound exactly the same if you're not familiar. So, So franchise is the brand, right? So a McDonald's is a franchise. And then the franchisor is the is basically the company that, that runs the brand. So McDonald's is a franchisor. And then the franchisee is the person who buys an individual and unit and then operates it. So, so a single person running a McDonald's is a franchisee. So um, you know, I, and it, it, I, like, it took me forever to like remember that. Um, so, okay, here's a problem that many brands have. They do something hyper specific, right? So, like, let's say that your Happy Cat Hotel and Spa this is a very, very specific kind of company, or let's say that you're a, you're a, you're a Kumon, uh, right? You're a little education center. But like, if I was going to set up a Happy Cat Hotel and Spa, I guess like for when yeah. my owners go on vacation, does that really is there really brand value there that that they they deliver? Like, what do they offer the franchisee? Right. So in, in that case, it's a little different. Uh, let me answer that, but I also make, want to make sure that I complete my, my other point. Sorry. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. we'll jump right. No, no, no. But, but, it's a, but it's a really good one because, because at the very top end, when you're buying into an established brand that people are familiar with, then you are definitely skipping the line on some things, right? Like there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of awareness about your brand, right? You don't have to explain to anybody what McDonald's or Taco Bell is. They know it. They're coming in for it. That's great. If you're joining a franchise on the very early side, then here's what you're getting. So number one, um, you're you're getting a significant discount because the 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 franchise fees aren't as as high as they will be when the company grows larger. Um, you're getting in early, which means that you can have more influence on shaping the the brand if that's something that you're interested in. Um, and um, and although you're not going to get as much brand awareness, uh, what you do have is you still get a system. So they'll tell you. Exactly. Here's what it looks like to build one of these things. Here's everything that you need to get. Here, here's the best practices for how to operate this. Oh, you're running into trouble over here. Call the call the home office, and we'll talk through the problems with it. Right? You're still you're you're still you're you're getting a system that that has been refined and that can help you be successful. Which, which is again, not to say that every system can help you be successful. Not to say that every single person who buys a franchise is successful. But you know, it helps you skip a lot of those parts. So you know, it's just choose your own adventure. But you have to have faith that as you're researching what franchise. Let's say you want to you're you're an individual. You want to yeah buy a franchise. You have to have faith. Oh, here's this cat thing. I never heard of it before. You research it, and you have to have some faith that okay, they offer me enough value that I should go with them rather than start it on my own. That's right. That's right. And and look, I mean that's that's the true that's the same for any business. There there are just because you buy a McDonald's doesn't mean that the McDonald's is going to be successful. You have to be a good operator 
of that McDonald's. Uh, and, um, and you still have to, you're, you should be engaging with your community and making sure that people feel like you're a part of that community. There are plenty of stories. I mean, once you get to the level of McDonald's, they don't make many mistakes, but you know, we just ran a story about Smoothie King, for example. Um, so Smoothie King is a very familiar brand. Um, and uh, this guy, uh, Juan Kim, st- uh, decided that he, you know, sm- he wanted to bring smoothies to Korea, where which is where he's from. And uh, so he opens up the the first Smoothie King in basically the Times Square of uh, of Seoul, and uh, and it it was a disaster for a long time because you know people didn't understand. Even though Smoothie King is a very established brand and they know exactly how to run these things. But you know, there wasn't enough market familiarity out there. It was very hard to connect with people. People didn't understand what it was for. This was back in like 2003. And it was really, really, really hard. Now, he eventually figured it out over many years. He opened a number more and then more and more. And then he grew so successful that he actually bought the company. And now he is the owner and CEO of Smoothie King. It's a great story. But, um, but it, you know, it started as, a, as, as really teetering on absolute failure. So you better know what you're doing and make the right decisions. This is like no business is, is just uh, a cakewalk, right? Um, but to, to go back to the Happy Cat, uh, the reason I brought up Happy Cat is because a big problem that Happy Cat has is that they, when they when they are out and they're trying to find franchisees, people who who might be interested in in buying a Happy Cat hotel and spa, um, one of the things they run into is that people assume that Happy Cat is looking for cat lovers, right? Uh, that they they're only interested in working with cat lovers uh, to be uh, to be franchisees, and um, and you know this is this is something that lots of brands run into. So education franchises keep running into the problem that uh, prospective franchisees think only people who have education backgrounds can be a franchisee of this. Or a PuroClean, which like cleans up like disasters, right? You you have like a major uh, flood or something in your home and the PuroClean will come clean it up. Um, A lot of people think, oh, well, you know, only people who are willing to kind of be waist deep in muck at 2 a.m. are going to be interested, you know, going to want to, going to be good for this franchise. And all these franchisees, or all, all these franchisors, all these brands have to be like, no, 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 that, that's not true at all. We're actually not, we actually kind of prefer that people are not obsessive about the thing that they're getting into. Like, we don't want cat obsessives at Happy Cat. You know why? Because cat obsessives are going to have very strong feelings <laughs> about um, exactly how this brand should be run. And actually, the way in which you're going to find success is if what you are mostly excited about is being a strong operator. Coming in and saying, okay, I see the system. I'm excited about figuring out how to maximize this system. Here are the services that we're going to provide. I'm not going to like feel like uh, I'm overly protective of cats in general. We're actually going to just, we're running a really smart business here. And so they actually don't really want, they want people who like like cats, but not people who love cats. And and I hear this across the board. You don't need to love education. You need to love providing value to people and building a brand. That's what you need. So uh, anyway, that's the reason I bring up Happy Cat. And and there are a million, again, like there are just, there are thousands of franchises out there. Some of them are uh, things that you run out of uh, your home. Some of them are things that you run out of a van. Uh, And then there are things that are extremely expensive and cost millions of dollars to build like a McDonald's. Thank the Lord for Amazon Pharmacy. 
I want to live like a king. I just want everything sent to me. I never want, I hate going to the pharmacy and waiting online. And they, and then what if it's some kind of personal prescription or something? Everyone's just like breathing over my neck. Not to mention, I don't even drive. So to even get to a pharmacy is a drag, but Amazon pharmacy delivers the best possible pharmacy experience. It delivers directly to your door and works with most insurance plans. Amazon Pharmacy helps you save time, save money, stay healthy. With their transparent pricing, you know what you'll pay before you pay it. There's no surprise that the pharmacist tells you at the end, like, oh no, this wasn't the generic kind, so now it's like $7,000 for this. Amazon Prime members can save up to 80% on their prescriptions, and Amazon Pharmacy works with most insurance plans. If you ever have any questions or problems, there are real pharmacists always available at Amazon Pharmacy, no matter what time of day or night. So a pharmacy that works for your life with meds delivered to your door, it doesn't get any better than that. Switch to Amazon Pharmacy and save time, save money, and stay healthy. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's walk through it. Like, How would I yep. get a franchise, build it, and then really make wealth from it? Because you can make an income from a lot of franchises that you, that you, if you're going to start an individual subway franchise, you can make an income, right. but you're not yes. necessarily going to build wealth and, and, right. but you can build wealth from, from this process, but it's, it, you have to take it. There's a fork in the road at some point. So, yeah. so how, like, okay, first off, how do I get like a franchise? Like say, let's say I want to get a subway franchise. Right. Okay. So, or a Domino's you, pizza franchise, something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Right. All right. So if you, there are a number of ways to do it. Um, the first of all, know this. This is fascinating. You know what people in the people who run these franchises, people who run the brand, 
you know what they wake up every day thinking about is how to find good franchisees. Like that, that just, just again, the franchisee being the person who buys an individual unit of a franchise. This is the thing that they're obsessed with. It's like, how do I find really good franchisees? It, it, it is their way to grow. So they're always looking for really qualified, great people. Now, now what, what does that mean, really qualified? You know, it, it's going to depend upon the size of the franchise. So, um, Somebody who you know was was kind of maybe has some corporate America background uh, has never run a business before. Happy Cat is going to be thrilled to work with that person, but you know Taco Bell maybe would say, "I actually am looking for somebody who already has experience running restaurants." So it's going to be different. But either way, there are a couple things that you could do. Number one, if you have a very specific idea of a brand that you are interested in, you can go directly to them. Um, every every one of these uh, companies has a uh, has a website that is just for their franchise. If you just search it, right? Like, you know, search KFC franchising or something like that. They have, they, they have a website that's just for the franchise uh, community and, uh, and you can reach out to them and, and start a conversation. Um, but let's say that you don't know. Let's say that you're just interested in owning a franchise and you don't know what kind of franchise it is. So there is a world of franchise brokers and these people, um, the, oh, I should say, because otherwise I'll probably get fired. You could also go to entrepreneur.com slash franchise, which has a list of franchises. Um, but, uh, but there are this world of franchise brokers and their job is basically to talk with you, learn what you are looking for. Like, what are you good at? What are you excited about? What kind of, what kind of business do you want to be running? Do you want a really a deep and challenging business, or do you want something that you can do, you know, on the side for twenty hours a week? Uh, you know, like, and, and once they understand that, they'll start recommending some franchises to you. Now, you don't pay for this. This is not a, not something that you pay for, because the broker broker gets paid on the back end. So what what happens is that once you, if you ultimately decide, oh, you know what, I'd really love to be a Dream Vacations franchisee. Dream Vacations is a um, a travel agency franchise. So let's say you really would love to be a Dream Vacations franchisee. Well, then the broker will put you in touch with Dream Vacations. You'll go through this process with them, which we can discuss. And if you ultimately decide, yes, I am going to be a Dream Vacations franchisee, then um, uh, and you sign and you become one, then the broker gets paid. So that's that's how it works. So, uh, you know, I, I think brokers are really a, a fantastic way to go because they'll give you a, a great survey of options. You don't have to pick any of them. Um, and you shouldn't feel pressured into anything. You should do only what's right for you. This is a gigantic decision. But that's how you begin. And so I decide on the franchise I get, and let's say, again, it's like Domino's Pizza or whatever. How much do yeah. I pay? Oh, so that that depends. Uh, that depends. So there is, um, there are, and now we're going to get into the weeds where, like, I I just I want to caveat that, like, I I'm not the expert quite in the logistics of this, but I will tell you that every franchise has has a franchise fee. So that's basically an upfront amount of money that you have to pay to to become a franchisee, and then also there is. Um, there, there are costs to setting up. So, for example, you know, if you wanna if you wanna become a 
uh, uh, just keep using the example of Happy Cat uh, franchisee, then, um, you know, there are costs to, to a build-out. That's a physical space. Uh, so that's going to be more expensive. Whereas uh, if you want to be a Dream Vacations franchisee, there's basically no build-out. You're running that from home. Um, you know, there, there's 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 not as much upfront cost. So there are franchises that you can start for for basically like five thousand dollars. And in fact, we have here. I'll go look it up. We have um, we we run a lot of um, entre- uh, at Entrepreneur. We run a lot of like best franchises for under you know certain amounts of money. So um, so I'll just uh, to just to give you some kind of uh, some some examples. All right. So here here's here's some that I'm pulling up right now. Uh, so we have the two, uh, 20, 2022 top franchises for less than $50,000. And they're worth it. Like if I spend $10,000, I'm really getting $10,000 in value. Well, I mean, look, I think that, that you have to make that evaluation for yourself. But what you're getting, and, and, and look, so you have to make that evaluation for yourself and you're not doing that based on nothing, right? So, um, so if you are to if you were to go out here, I'll just I'll just I'll just give you an example, some examples of the ones that are on this list, and then let's and then let's answer that question. So uh, the number one um, on our list here of of top under fifty thousand dollars is Jan Pro Cleaning and Disinfecting. So that's a commercial cleaning company, and the initial investment is is between five and fifty eight thousand dollars. So that's going to depend on the market that you're in and maybe the you know the scale of the business. The second one is Stratus Building Solutions, which is actually also commercial cleaning, and then crazily, actually the third. Is, is Anago Cleaning Systems, which is also commercial cleaning. So commercial cleaning is totally killing it. And um, and by the way, we're not just making up, uh, we're not just like kind of putting things on a list. These are based on, uh, uh, you know, a, a whole series of, uh, of of things that we're evaluating in terms of growth, uh, you know, profitability, uh, um, the marketing strength, and so on. Um, and so, okay, so let's say, and then, you know, we go down the route, we've got other things, plumbing, the Rooter Man, uh, Dream Vacations actually is on there at number seven. Um, and, uh, and, and so on. So, uh, Chester's chicken, uh, you can get a Chester's chicken for between 16,000 and 288,000. So, you know, a pretty wide range. Um, so, okay. You asked the, you asked an important question, which is what are you getting for that value? Now, um, you need to really, if you're, if you're thinking about this, you need to really spend time exploring that. Um, and there are a couple of things that you you should really do. Uh, number one, um, every franchise by law, every franchise company has to publish what's called a fran- an FDD, a franchise disclosure document. And so that gives you a lot of insight into the into the health and strength of the business. So you know you can see what's really going on there. Um, you also should talk to a lot of existing franchisees and hear what their experiences are like. And they will tell you because there are franchises out there where, you know, like it's, everyone is not just like on board. Um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of companies where, where there are some pretty grumpy franchisees. Uh, if you want to get a sense of what that looks like, um, Google around for, for like disputes with 7-Eleven. Mm. Like 7-Eleven has had a lot of disputes with its franchisees. They're, they're very upset about uh, what they feel like is a kind of unfair um, amount of uh, uh, revenue share that they have to they give with the with the parent company and uh, the changes that the parent company mandates and there are a whole bunch of other things. So um, so talk to the franchisees; they will tell you. Um, and uh, you know, and then you should you should you should talk to trusted advisors. You should talk to a lawyer. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who specialize in franchising, and there are franchise lawyers out there. Uh, they'll, they'll give you the scoop. You should really investigate this. So um, just because 
you, I mean, like, like, just because you spend money buying a franchise does not mean that it will be successful by itself. It will be successful because you're a, a committed operator. You're you're going to be creative and running this business. They're not going to do everything for you. They're they're not going to find customers for you. You got to go find customers, right? If you're a Dream Vacations franchisee, they'll give you all the information about all the great cruises and whatever that people can go on and they'll give you best practices for how to find clients but you got to go find clients you got to be good at that yeah and i guess like like take jan pro cleaning for instance i guess yeah. they give you the cleaning equipment and right. there's the brand in case people are googling and the training but like if i'm like a doctor's office and i need like professional cleaning i'm not gonna yeah. go i might not know jam pro i'll just google like who cleans doctor's offices in the area. But I guess Jam right. Pro, their SEO is good because they have companies all over the place and they'll show up and you'll have all the equipment and so on. Right. Yes, but. So yes, but. Jam Pro is going to do a lot of marketing. Um, and so that's valuable. But anybody in franchising will tell you that as an individual franchisee, you should be doing marketing too. So, and you'll see it, you know, you'll see that if, if you, if you look around, um, that there are localized versions of, of brand, uh, Instagram pages and brand, you know, websites and stuff. And, 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 and there, and there should be, because if you're running a Jan Pro cleaning in, I don't know, uh, uh, uh Des Moines, well, you know, you got to make sure that you, the person in Des Moines who, who, who are, is, is connecting with your local consumer base in Des Moines, which is going to mean hitting the street and making sure that you're connecting with local business people and that people th are, have, to, are, are, have you top of mind. Like, just because this is a franchise and, and some of the things like how to set this business up how to operate this business, training for this business, um, just because some of those things are, are, are going to be provided to you by a corporate headquarters does not mean that corporate headquarters is also going to run your business and make sure it's a success. You, you have to do that. It, right. it, so, so yes, um, if you, if you pay the amount of money, the five to $58,000 to buy a Jan pro cleaning, um, they're, uh, which, you know, just, um, looking at their, their, their ranking here on entrepreneur.com. So they have, as of 2022, they have 10,418 units open. So that's a lot of people running Janpro cleaning. And mm. Some of those might own one and some of those might own a hundred. I don't know. Um, and, uh, and they were number 30 on our, uh, on our, on our list. Um, so if you buy one of these, th there's a, you know, I guess I would say considering the track record of Janpro, there is a, a good chance of success, but it's not guaranteed. Nothing in the world is guaranteed. You got to run a business. And so, so I spend the money, I, I yeah. get all the equipment, I get the training, I'm part of their family. So I, I do piggyback a little bit on their marketing, but now I have to yeah. be aggressive about finding customers. And mm -hmm. do I give them a portion of my revenues at the end of the year or what happens? Do I pay so like a monthly franchise fee to keep being a franchise e? There is a, that's a, that's a really great question. That's a little beyond. Okay. So here, let, you know what, let's, this is, um, this is, I've got it for, I've got it for Jan Pro so we can go through it. Okay. So Jan Pro, we've got the initial franchise fee is $2,520 to $44,000. So that's, that's the range. Uh, right. Um, and so the, the initial franchise fee we're talking now is the, that is the initial fee paid to a franchisor to join their system. 
All right. So now the next thing is going to be um, the the initial investment, which is four thousand eight hundred dollars to fifty eight thousand dollars, because that's a little different, right? Because that's the total amount necessary to begin operating the franchise. Because there are these other things that you're going to need to spend money on, which could be anything from real estate, equipment, supplies, business license, right? So these are these are things that and and by the way, you will these shouldn't be a surprise. All this stuff is going to be outlined in their in their FDD, their franchise disclosure document. Um, so, uh, now there's, now there's other things that you're, you know, you're asking about. So like for a royalty, so that, so because every franchise has a royalty. So in the case of JanPro, um, so a royalty is an ongoing fee that's paid to the franchiser on a regular basis. Uh, so the royalty fee for JanPro is 10%. Um, so 10% is what, is what you are now. Um, so the, just, just to, on the royalty, so most franchisors require franchisees to pay an ongoing royalty fee, which is, uh, which is they're going to, again, that's going to be detailed in their franchise disclosure document. It's usually a percentage of weekly or monthly gross sales, but it could also be a flat monthly, weekly, or, or annual fee. So, um, so that's what we're talking about, right? So it's going to be a little different per brand. Um, but yes, you're looking at a, you're looking at a royalty fee and then, um, uh, and then also, there's often because because everyone's benefiting from the marketing. There's also going to be an ad royalty fee. So that's a that's an ongoing fee that's paid to the franchisor to support advertising and marketing efforts. Uh, so um, you know it could be also called an advertising fee. Or so and 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 that's one percent at uh, at JanPro. Um, and uh, and then there's a there's terms of the agreement. So in this case, um, you know, so that like when you buy a franchise, there's often a length of time that your franchise agreement will last. And then you know, I guess at the end of that, you can you can decide if you're going to re up. So Janpro, their term of agreement is ten years, and uh, and that is renewable. So every single one of these has a different has a different story. And uh, and you know, th- those are also things that you're going to want to consider. When you're seeing if uh, you know if this is if this is right for you, just just to give you like a comparison point, because like I told you about JanPro, so then now we got Dream Vacations. So Dream Vacations is a is is a less complicated business. It's something that you could basically operate out of your home, and um, and here's what that looks like. So, you know, the initial the initial fee is uh, between uh, the initial franchise fee is between four hundred ninety five dollars and ten thousand dollars. Again, probably market dependent. Uh, the royalty fee is is much smaller than JanPro. It's it's one point five to three percent a year, so much smaller. Uh, there is no advertising fee associated with it, and then the term of the agreement is five years. So you know you see a vast difference in in what you're signing up for. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. 
I've used ZipRecruiter, particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not that you need it. You're, You're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I guess the main issue I want to know is like, how do I evaluate like how much I'm going to make? Like, why would I take this risk? Whether it's McDonald's or Jam Pro or Domino's, yeah. like how much does a McDonald's franchise owner make? Well, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. But the first thing that you need to do is know what your goal is, um, right? So if you're if you're buying, if your goal to get is to get into franchising and to like earn $10 million a year and build generational wealth, then, you know, starting like a single dream vacations franchise is probably not going to be the way to do it because it's a smaller business. I think a lot of people do it as a, maybe even a side business. You could do it full time, but you know, there, there are a lot of, a lot of franchises present themselves as basically lifestyle businesses, right? There, there are things that you can do. You can do them alongside other things. You can be a a par- a full-time parent and also run one of these things. So the way to build real significant money is number one, get into these businesses that, you know, they're sort of built for really high volume and, uh, you know, and, and really high sales. And then number two, grow and buy more of them, 
because that's ultimately where like real scaling happens on these things. Right. That's like the people I ran yeah. into in that's the Eiffel right. Tower. They had like 40. And so I guess you get synergies, like it's easier to buy in bulk yep. and you could, and you know, you can advertise other locations from, you know, each location and yeah. you could combine them all together and you get a higher uh, multiple on earnings and you're allowed to sell your collection of franchises as its own business. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Like you're yeah, not you dependent on McDonald's, for instance, to just buy and approve your, the sale. Well, I guess they have to approve it probably, but you're not yeah. dependent on them. No, that's right. You, you are, it's your business. And you could have McDonald's and Domino's franchises in your business. You don't have to have just McDonald's. I don't know if there are like, you know, competitive terms in some of these, mm. but, but, um, but generally speaking, people who own lots of franchises tend to own lots of franchises among different brands. So, um, and, and, you know, you could do that inside of a larger brand. So for example, you know, we were talking earlier about Yum Brands, which owns Pizza Hut and and um, uh, Taco Bell and stuff. So, you know, the, there are a lot of people who own, uh, they own some Taco Bells and some Pizza Huts and some whatever. But you could also own across multiple things and, and lots of people do. I, again, I, I don't know, I because I just don't know the answer to that. I don't want to say definitively. I don't know if there's any kind of like competitive things. But, um, but generally speaking, uh, if you own one franchise, there isn't, there's nothing stopping you from owning another franchise in a different brand. Yeah, so so the ideal would be, let's say I own a McDonald's fr franchise. Um, yeah. It's profitable. I take some of that profits as salary to live on, and but I also use the cash flow to maybe borrow money from the bank to buy another McDonald's franchise, and then another right. franchise, and so on. And then I build a, a a big company. That's right, and uh, and that's the reason why a lot of people grow within an ex one system, right? Which is to say you buy one McDonald's and you buy another McDonald's and another McDonald's, right? And the reason for that is because once you know how to run one really well, you are ahead of the game in running the next one. And also the company is going to be very excited to work with you and, and probably is talking to you about doing so, you know, doing some expansion. So th this is how you, this is how you, you know, you, you really can grow because once you own 10, 20 more of these things, then you know, you're, you're really running a very significant business. And then at that point, of course, you, you've, you've built a different structure. You know, I talk to people who, run, who, who own lots of these things and um, you know, basically they have, they have a name for their company, right? Um, and their company owns all of these individual franchises. So it's like, you know, so James owns um, JA Restaurants, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and so JA Restaurants, what does JA Restaurants do? JA Restaurants is a company that owns 20 McDonald's. That's what JA Restaurants does. And who works at JA Restaurants? Well, it's, a, you know, it's kind of like a small management team uh, that, um, uh, that, that, you know, kind of oversee the operations for all of these individual restaurants. And then, you know, you can pool resources so that you are, um, you know, you're sort of centralizing maybe... Um, I'm sure there's all sorts of like logistics and, and, and management things that, you know, you need to centralize. And so, so that, that's how these things work. And, and people, people go big with these. I mean, there are people out there who own hundreds, you know, hundreds, thousands of, of franchises. You know, you can really go as big as you can manage. Yeah. So what's the biggest success story you've seen? Not like big company success story, like individual. On an individual level, there are a lot of people who start really, really small, um, I mean, like the the most the, the kind of the most charming stories are the ones where someone has started as like a cook or something at a franchise, right? And then grew to management. And uh, one of the things that a lot of franchises like to do 
is um, is that they they love to identify people who are thriving inside of their system and then and then help them become franchisees. So um, so they will you know they'll 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 offer these incentives. Uh, hey, you know if you're a manager at a whatever location. Do you want to attend this thing and explore whether or not you want to become an owner yourself? And we, we've seen we've seen tons of those stories, uh, and and I and I I love those. But I, I'll tell you um, a quick thing that that comes to mind. This is this is not exactly that because I'm I, I just like an individual person is not springing to mind right now. We've run we've run so many like in every issue of the magazine. Actually, you know what? Just out of, out of curiosity, I've got one. Where I've got like an issue with the magazine. So just like let's just let's just take a random person based on whoever's going to jump out at me at the magazine um, because we're we're running these um, always these these Q and A's from folks. So uh, okay, so um, um, so who do we have here? We've got oh yeah. No, this is yo. Know, this guy's great. Okay, so here, so here's um, um uh, for people who are seeing this by video. So we've got this guy. His name is uh, Sergio Aguirre, A G U I R R E. I apologize, I don't know how to pronounce his name. So, uh, so here's what happens for Sergio. So Sergio lives in Miami. Uh, he spent years working in hotels, and uh, you know he had he had actually thought about leaving hotels to open up his own restaurant. Um, but then he went to Mexico to visit some friends, and he saw this brand that is uh, it started in Spain. It's in two thousand locations globally, but it's actually not in America at the time. Named Mister Jeff, and Mister um, Jeff is basically a laundry service, right? It's like a pickup and and delivery laundry service. Um, and he he's like, this is a great company, and and he wonders, you know, maybe actually I should I should leave hotels and start a Mister Jeff. So he he reaches out to the company. Uh, and he he asks if they're expanding into the U.S. and they say not yet. But then a few years later, in twenty twenty one, they call him back because you know, like I said, people are really interested in in finding like good, talented people who want to be franchisees. And in the meantime, he couldn't just start his own laundry service and pick up and sure he so could have he could have he decided not to um, you know for whatever reason. But uh, he could have he could have started his own laundry service. And maybe tried to figure that business out, and then converted it into a Mister Jeff, which is something that people do, uh, which is that they take their independent business and, and turn it into a franchise. Um, but he he did not do that. Uh, why? I don't. You'd have to ask him. Uh, we didn't ask him. But um, but so so they call him up and they say, "All right, we're we're ready to expand into America. Do you want to be our very first franchisee?" So you know now, what is Mister Jeff thinking? We didn't ask Mister Jeff, but I'm going to guess that what Mister Jeff is thinking is here's someone who is. Um, enthusiastic about the brand. So we've got a great contact there. And he's coming from hotels, which means that, okay, maybe he's never run a laundry service before, but he understands hospitality, which means that he understands how to treat people well and, and you know, the value of good customer service. And that's going to translate, right? Like, just like I said, Happy Cat isn't looking for people who are obsessed with cats. Mr. Jeff isn't looking for people who are obsessed with laundry. Um, they're looking for people who are obsessed with customer service. And so, um, so he, he decides to do it. And, you know, he, you know, he told us it's not, it wasn't easy. Uh, being the first, especially in this marketplace means that there's absolutely no brand awareness at all. Um, but, uh, but what he, you know, what he did have was a, he had a system that they 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 showed him how to run this business. He really dove into it uh, firsthand. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, like like full full steam. And um, and you know, he told I'm like kind of looking at what he told us here. Uh, you know, I mean, basically said he's like he said um, I, I, we asked him what does it feel like to be the very first franchisee in the U.S. And he says he's like all the feelings are there. I have a big challenge. 
which is trying something here that doesn't really have proof yet. And the first months were crazy, and I was started thinking, why did I do this? But through help from the from mentors, because you know they'll provide mentors, I know it's going to you know I know it's going to be a year of growth. I, I, it's slow, and I just don't need to stress myself out. And then he talked about how you know, the, he's been connecting with consumers and understanding what they want and and figuring out how to turn loyal customers into advocates who are going to tell other people about Mr. Jeff. And, you know, like if Mr. Jeff takes off, this guy, this guy's number one, which means that he's he's in early. He could probably grab the second location very quickly. Uh, and, um, and, and he might have a, a wonderful, thriving career by going in early. Yeah, so that's interesting. And then also he could he could expand throughout the rest of the US. He sure could. He sure so, he absolutely could. So have you ever considered doing a franchise? You You've know, seen all these stories. Why don't you do one? <laughs> uh I haven't. Uh and and the reason is because I look at my own skill set and to be realistic, one of my great weaknesses is I think what is required to be a good franchisee, uh, which is to say, I'm not really a good operator. Uh, like I'm just, I'm not right. Like I'm, I'm a good creator, but I'm not a great operator of things. You know, I, I like to work with great operators and then also creating something that has never been seen before is, is, is a really important thing to me. And that's why I'm in the kind of business that I'm in where I'm making media and and things that that I feel like are based entirely upon like my ability to will something into existence and you know that's that's not I think the the perspective of someone who goes into franchising I think the perspective of someone who goes into franchising has to be I am really excited to um thrive as a team and um and take something that has been created and figure out how to make it as successful as possible. Uh, it's the reason why like veterans make amazing franchisees because they know how to work and thrive inside of systems. And it's the reason that many franchises actually um, uh, they uh, they have all these kind of um, uh, uh, benefits that they offer to franchise to, to veterans to try to become you know they have discounts on the franchise fee and all sorts of stuff because they want to lure veterans in. I I don't think that I have the disposition for it. I, I I don't think that I work very well in systems, um, and I don't think that I I take orders very well. You have to have the mindset that this is what I'm going to do. So yeah. like I'm going to do Mr. Jeff's at, or McDonald's or Taco Bell or whatever for the next five years, and not yeah. really think about doing anything else. Right. And that's you know some people love doing that and there's a security to that. And there's also, again, it's not just a regular job. There is the potential to grow into wealth and you're your own boss, but other people like to have many things going on and many opportunities and drop the things that aren't working or that they lose interest in. And I, I'm more like the latter. I think you're more like the latter. Yeah. A lot of people are, there's nothing wrong with either. In fact, both yeah. are equally stressful. So yeah, you, I think they're what you make of it. You're that's actually, that's totally right. I think the most important thing is like the, Neither is neither is better or worse. The most important thing is to just recognize what your strengths are and then play to them. And um, and I know that if I put myself into positions where I'm going to feel constrained, then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be frustrated and not do my best. And this is a system that would feel constraining to me. But I think for but but I have met so many people for whom this kind of thing is is a is a thrill and. Um, and that they commit themselves wholly to it. It's wild. I I spoke once at a Dream Vacations 
franchise convention. All these franchises have conventions. And uh, I speak I speak at a bunch of them. And uh, so I went on the stream vacations one, which was on a cruise, which was fun. And um, and afterwards, it was so interesting. This woman comes up to me and uh, she's she's got this old, like years old issue of Entrepreneur Magazine in her hands. And she's like, I got to show you something. And she like flips open to it. And she flips to this, we, we, we had run a list. We always run these lists in, uh, in, in Entrepreneur of like, you know, best, best franchises for whatever, you know, like hottest categories or best, you know, best, best low cost franchises, whatever it was. And, um, and she shows me, she's like, I was looking, I was a, I can't remember what she was. I was a teacher or something. And I was looking for something different. I wanted to own my own business. I was flipping through your magazine and I saw Dream Vacations and I, um, I circled it and she's pointing at it and it's like, there it is. Like their dream vacations was circled. She's like, I circled it. And then I got in touch with them. And now I'm a travel agency with, with my, I, I own my own travel agency. And it's like all because I saw the words dream vacations in this magazine. And, um, I, you know, I got to say that that was a really meaningful moment to me because I love going out and talking to these people, but you know, for the most part, most of my days I'm pretty disconnected, right? Like I'm here, I am in my home office working with the team to make a magazine and we make these lists and to us they're just lists there's lists of companies and uh they they fill a certain amount of space and we have to make sure that all the information is correct but then they go out into the world and people who are trying to figure out what they want to do next start looking through these lists and each one of them like every single thing on that list is actually a like a, a different door that could open it's like a slide it's like a million it's like a multiverse and um and you could pick one and pursue it. And that is now the business that you run and the life that you're building. And uh, 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 for, you know, I, I don't have any idea how many for, for, for countless millions of people, uh, th that, is, that, that, is the, that is the difference maker. And that's a pretty awesome thing. And like right now, like, look, you, as long as I've known you, you've been editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Yeah. And uh, and you've tried different things. You've done podcasts. You've done books. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you, you've really experimented a lot with with podcasts and content and so on. What's what's next for you? Oh, um, uh, I'm going to become a Dream Vacations franchisee. <laughs> <laughs> I believe uh, it. Yeah. Uh, what's next for me? Well, so I I'm having a lot of really interesting conversations um, right now that are going in a whole lot of different directions. Um, some of which are sort of not at the point of being able to share them publicly. But, uh, you know, like some of the stuff that I guess I can talk about vaguely is, um, is that, you know, I'm having some interesting TV conversations, which, as you know, are mostly conversations that go absolutely nowhere. But, um, but they're fun. And so I'm having them. I, 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 you know, like I, I like to, I like to think of opportunities um, a little bit like lottery tickets, right? It's like engage with engage with everyone that seems interesting, but get emotionally attached to none of them because you just never know which ones are going to pay out and you never know when they're going to pay out. Um, Very true. And so, um, and so in a way, it's like, in a way, it's like treat the world of opportunity like, um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, when you get, you know, when you get a, uh, an email and it's like you have been identified as um, as a, a customer of this random brand from four years ago. Uh, there is a class action lawsuit 
that, you know, would you like to join the class action lawsuit? And the first time that I ever got one of those emails, I, I asked my dad what I should do. And he was like, just say yes and then forget about it. And maybe seven years later, someone will send you a check for $2.17. And um, so that's, that, that is what happens. That's what I, I, I say yes. And then I get the check for $2.17 five years later. And, uh, and it's like, oh, that's a delight, right? So I, I kind of try to treat everything like that. So I'm having these very interesting conversations about TV, for example, with like, you know, really very experienced people and uh, and celebrity people. And I get on these calls and everyone has everyone has lots and lots of enthusiasm. But of course, everyone else tells me like there's never been a bad meeting in Hollywood. You know, like everyone's just always really enthusiastic. Yeah. So um, so I take the meeting and then I go about my life and I basically don't think about it again. Um, I um uh and 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 ultimately I have a lot of things that are going that are kind of like that. And my vision is really how do I continue to build upon the things that I have built for myself right now, which is that I occupy this space in which I I have a lot of very useful knowledge to people. And I feel like I've gotten better at, better and better at being able to deliver that knowledge and being a good spokesperson for, for people's dreams and opportunities. And um and and I want to see how big I can go with that and how impactful I can be. So, um, uh, so uh, anyway, if uh, if anyone uh, wants to explore a lottery ticket with me, you can get in touch. <laughs> I mean, the TV thing is interesting only because, like, you could do it and get more popular, for instance, as a YouTube channel. But then yeah. you have to spend the money. Whereas with TV, a TV studio will pay you to do what you want to do. And yeah. the, and you know, there's still kind of a special alert to TV, even though it's not as popular as the most popular YouTube channels or podcasts or whatever. Uh, like I've, I've spent so much time pursuing TV and I got really close on my last efforts mm -hmm. and it just really did prove to be ultimately very disappointing. But yeah. a lot of people have find success with it. I, I don't know why I didn't have the magic formula to, I, I've been in serious conversations. Like I counted it once about I made a, a, a list of an article about this where I listed mm. it ten times. Ten times I've been in serious conversations <laughs> about TV show, meaning I was talking in the office yeah. of a television studio with a decision maker, yeah. not just like an like not just an agent. Like an agent brought me to like the head of NBC, and we're talking. Mm -hmm. And the only time I actually got offered a TV show, I turned it down, which was with Fox Business back huh. when they were launching. And I, I was already doing a lot of things with CNBC and I felt like it would be disloyal to suddenly do something with Fox Business. Yeah. So, oh, that's funny. I, yeah. you know, and it, but you could go even further and it still doesn't work out. There, there's a guy, I, I won't say his name because it's not public information, um, but I, it's someone I know, probably someone you know, um, who I was, I, was, I was talking to his agent recently and, uh, and he was telling me, and I didn't know this, that the guy had filmed an entire season of a show with a network. And then they just decided that they didn't like it and it's not going anywhere. Like, right? Like they got, you got past all the meetings. You filmed a whole season of the show and nobody's going to see it. <laughs> I mean, at yeah. some point, at some point you have to get emotionally invested and that, that's got to be crushing. It, yeah. Like I had that option actually, because sometimes you can't see the result until right. the whole season is shot. Like let's say Survivor is an example. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't shoot a season of Survivor. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't buy and put on the air a season of Survivor. You'd have to shoot the whole season and see and if see it was if it's good. good. Right. Uh, like for the very first season, at least. And they probably had to do that. I don't know for sure they did that, but my guess is that's the prudent thing to do. And there's quite likely they're going to reject it because there's a lot of right. reasons why. So, like one time I had something approved 
but the main decision maker was fired. So all of the things he approved <laughs> were, were ended. Like I've had the oddest reasons. Like one time I pitched two shows to two different divisions of a television company. Both divisions were interested, but when they heard that I had pitched another show to another division, they both said no. Oh man. So you I can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's been very hard for me, but probably for the best because it's also a lot of work. And you know, sometimes you, if you're the type of person who likes to do lots of things, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't necessarily want to be devoted to just one thing, but I tried really hard to, to get the TV thing going and it just, it just never happened. And not just on business ideas, like all over the board. Like I wrote yeah. screenplays. I wrote, uh, I had business ideas. I had reality show ideas that were completely unrelated to business mm. and, uh, just nothing. I, I, and now for some reason, and it's just like two years after my latest attempt at this. Now, for some reason, I have zero interest. Like somehow <laughs> that knob for the first time in like 25 years has completely turned off. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, well, you know, I think part of that is because when something feels mysterious, it's really exciting. And then when you get into it and you see that it's actually just a bunch of BS like everything else, then, you know, you, you, the, 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 you know, the, the sparkles, sparkles and fades, uh, to quote Everclear. Like, I, you know, I, um, I, I mean, to be clear, I mean, we've been talking about TV for a bit. Like that—that that is not where I hang. I hang my hat. It's just kind of like the one kind of interesting thing that I feel okay uh, talking about. But like, you know, I've got a bunch of other things. It's, it's, it's this a very very interesting um, uh, organization that reached out about possibly acquiring something that I'm making right now, and um, not in TV. It's a different thing, and uh, so that that's that's curious. But you know, I, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, here, here's what I like to do. Here's like here's like kind of my strategy. My strategy is. Um, um, is to, uh, is to like make great things. Like I just focus on making great things and then, um, and then treating them like opportunity magnets, right? Like I feel like if you, yeah, if you, like if you, that. yeah, if you like, if you put great things out, then people will notice. And, and it's, and I, I don't just sit around waiting for people to notice. I mean, I sort of, I'm actively going out and like talking to people and introducing my stuff to stuff, but I like to think of things as opportunity magnets. And so like, you know, my podcast, for example, this podcast I make build for tomorrow, you know, it, it's, it doesn't make me a lot of money. I mean, it makes me really reasonably very little money, but um, uh, especially considering the amount of effort that I put into it. But why do I keep doing it? The reason is because I've had so many very impressive people reach out because they listen to the show and then they want to talk. And then maybe something happens as a result. Uh, you know, like yeah. the, the, the book that I did, Built for Tomorrow, could came out of that podcast. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, I got connected with these like very impressive venture capital firms that are very, very interested in it. And, uh, you know, and, and so, um, so sometimes I feel like you don't do something just to make money. Sometimes you do something to make opportunity, and and there's like there's value in that. So um, you know, the more you make, the more opportunity you get, and then you see what 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 path lies ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. Like like when I wrote Choose Yourself, for instance, yes, I made money from the book, which was re extremely rare. Like I've written twenty five books, I've hardly made money on any of them. Mm -hmm. And but what really made money for me was that a lot of people read it, so that created a lot of opportunities. Yeah. That's and exactly that is right. really the reason you do things, not because you have a specific outcome in mind, like, oh, everybody should use this business because blah, blah, blah. You do things so that it kind of keeps you around. And yeah. the more value it has, the more you're around to create other opportunities and more value and so on. You don't really know what value you're going to ultimately deliver uh, until the end of your life, but you have to just keep creating and doing.
Yeah, I call that. Have I told you? I I I, I kind of came up with a little term for that for myself, which was the zigzag payoff. Um, no, because so you know the way I the way I think of it is like you 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 do something not knowing how it's going to pay off, but just with the faith that it's going to move you towards something that will trigger value. So um, so an example I like to use is like okay, let's say that you. Let's say somebody loves the James Altucher show and um, and he says, you know what? Maybe I should start a podcast. Uh, and and I, it's great. You should go start a podcast. And so um, so let's say that that person starts a podcast. And uh, let's say that that podcast is very bad, right? Because uh, it probably will be. Right? There's like mil- literally millions of podcasts. Most of them are very, very bad. So um, so somebody starts a podcast and it's very bad and, and nobody listens to it. But... Uh, while they were setting up this show, they bought a bunch of recording equipment and they taught themselves how to record some stuff. And let's say that they have a friend with a band and the friend with the band comes along and says, hey, you got a bunch of microphones. You know how to record stuff. Can you, uh, can you can we come over and like record a demo? Are you recording a demo? Um, and uh, they say, great, come on over. So you record this thing and the band is very happy and they play it for their friends. And now their friends are calling you and they're like, hey, can we record? And so, you know, you start recording them too. And then uh, eventually you're like, I got enough business here. I should probably go work at a studio. So then you go, you work at a studio and now people are coming. You got a lot of clients. Eventually you say, you know what? Why am I at a studio? I should start my own company. And so then you start your own studio. Maybe it's a franchise. I don't know, but you start your own studio and, um, uh, and now you've got this thriving business in a completely different industry, right? Like doing something that you really could have never predicted. And it all started because you, you, you listened to the James Altucher show and said, I'm going to start a podcast and you made a very bad podcast. And that I think is basically how life works. Like the, 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 the thing that you need to do is simply give yourself more resources. Um, because, because the, the more that you have, uh, the more knowledge that you have, the, the more positioning you have the more opportunities will open up for you down the road. And so the best thing that you can do right now is to simply expand. Expand in directions that you can't even know why you're doing it. But the more that you do, the more value you will create. And you'll ultimately create this kind of zigzag payoff where it doesn't, it's not something you could have planned for. And it kind of doesn't even look like it makes sense. But when you zoom far out enough, it sure does. Yeah, no, it's very true. And I, I I hope that always continues. I always am nervous. My luck runs out and that's just it. But so far, so good. Yeah. Things are continuing and I keep planting seeds that hopefully will grow into things. But Jason, once again, thank you so much for explaining franchising to me for the first time. I'll tell one last story about it. Yeah. A friend of mine was um, a top executive at Domino's Pizza and mm. they had an underperforming franchise system in, in Florida. It's like, like 10 or 15 uh, franchises owned by the same guy. So they, I, they kind of, I don't know how they did it. They like fired those franchisees and he got permission from the owner of Domino's. He was like the number two guy at Domino's. So mm-hmm. he, he couldn't just leave Domino's and take over a franchise because the owner of Domino's, I forget his name, depended on him. So he, but he convinced the guy and he bought the franchises himself. and. And he explained to me, they, they, they were making two mistakes. They weren't delivering on time, which is mm-hmm. critical for Domino's. And their pizzas weren't always round. Like you just oh. have to make round pizzas <laughs> and people will like your pizza if you're a Domino's. And so he just fixed those things and he grew and he bought more in Florida and he sold them for like 10, 20 million and made a lot of money. And that was his sort despite being a top executive at a company, yeah. 
the way he really made his money was, you know, from he became an expert at dominoes, of course, and then bought these franchises and fixed them. And, and that was it. I, I love that story. And, you know, and it goes back to this point that we were, you know, we were kind of going back and forth on earlier, which is that, look, just because you buy into something and just because someone tells you how to be successful doesn't mean that you instantly will be successful, right? Like that, that Domino's franchise, franchisee, like before, before the guy you knew took over, you know, that person uh, surely had, had been told how to structure the business so that pizzas run on time. But you know what? It doesn't matter how often you're told that because if you're not hiring people who are responsible enough to get things on time and if you're not running your business efficiently enough so that you can get the pizzas out on time, there is nothing that Domino's corporate headquarters can do to fix that problem, right? Like you got to be the one to fix that problem. So um, so it ultimately, look, it, like I feel like the lesson of franchising and maybe a fine place for us to land here is like the, the lesson of franchising is the lesson of anything, which is that um, there's help out there, there's support, but um, ultimate success, no matter what it is that you're going to do, is going to rest upon you and you have to take responsibility for that. And so um, you put yourself into the best position that you can to succeed no matter what you're doing, whether you buy a franchise or start your own business or just work at another company. It doesn't matter what you do. Like, you know, set yourself up for success in, in whatever success looks like to you. Define success for yourself. But then make sure that like you are the one who is going to execute and actually get to that success because nobody at that point can do it for you. It has to be you. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, all right, well, Jason, thanks once again for coming on. Uh, always, always great to be here. And where do you want people to go? What's, where's, when's your next podcast? Oh, uh, well, I, you know, it's my next podcast. It, it, it once a month because it takes me that long to make them. This is it's a different show, but um, but build for tomorrow are the magic words. That is both the podcast and the book. Build for tomorrow. The podcast is is about like the the, the things that we misunderstand and uh, and the things that, and and like how to. How to um, how, how to how to how to better understand the things that we most misunderstand. So, like, what's um, an example? Uh, why, the, nobody wants to work out anymore, and like, why everybody says nobody wants to work anymore. But actually, if you go back through history, you find more than a hundred years of people saying nobody wants to work anymore. So, uh, it can't be that simply nobody wants to work anymore right now. Like, that is the wrong conversation that we're having. And so, um, so instead, what we need to do is understand what it looks like when work changes and um, and how to create better work. Uh, that's that's really the conversation that has been begging to be had for 120 years. Well, here's a question though, which I hope you answer on your podcast, but maybe yes. you could just tell us, where is everybody? So every industry I speak to, whether it's restaurants, hotels, I was just talking to people who um, are like kind of an Uber for electricians and plumbers and stuff yeah. like that. There's nobody, they said there's no... Nobody is a plumber anymore. Nobody's an electrician. Where did everybody go? Uh, right, yeah. So it's a, it's a really good question. The answer is that, um, so a lot of them started their own things, um, right? A lot of them became um, kind of solopreneurs or freelancers. A lot of them took jobs that were, um, that just had better, uh, like a lot, like a lot. I remember listening to a podcast once about a guy who left, um, Left the hospitality space because working in restaurants sucked, and he became a he became a um, like a, a post office delivery guy, uh, which was really interesting. Like his, his rationale is basically um, the hours are better, and uh, and and there's more stability, and so I'm I'm much happier in this role, right? Because there's there's been an expansion um, of of you know of roles uh, uh, you know across, and everyone's hiring, and um, and so it's not that people are gone but people are gone from the jobs that were really the most thankless and um and they're not 
really willing to go back to them until something changes. I mean, I was just talking to this guy who runs, this guy named Matt Plapp, who runs the... Um, he runs a company called America's Best Restaurants. It's a it's like a it's like a marketing firm for uh, for independent restaurants, and um, and he said he has this conversation all the time with his clients because they're saying like I you know I'm really struggling to hire people, and he says to them, and again I just want to stress before I say what he said, he is an advocate for restaurants. He loves restaurateurs. He says to these people, the reason they're not coming back is because you're offering crappy jobs. Flat out, you're offering crappy jobs, right? Well, how come they didn't get the better jobs earlier? Like, why are they getting the better jobs or, or better situations now? Well, because because there is a because because there was a labor shortage, and therefore there like there's a couple things. Like, there was a labor shortage, um, which of course means that uh, that that workers have the upper hand, and so it turns out they had more negotiating power and were able to find um, other roles, but also because. The pandemic caused this moment of reconsideration for a lot of people. And people said, you know what? I don't love the thing that I am doing. And, uh, you know, a, 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 a global virus could strike me down tomorrow. So I'm going to spend today trying to figure out how to be a little happier. And, um, and you know, you get enough people who are doing that all at once. And it's going to create a kind of chaos. But But it's not the first time that this has happened. I mean, I talked to this labor historian Whose, um, uh, whose name is um, uh, Peter Stearns at uh, George Mason University, and you know he was he was he gave me all of these fascinating examples throughout throughout history where something changed about work, right? Um, so uh, when America became more industrialized, uh, when um, when when uh, labor unions were were able to finally uh, push for things like an eight hour work day. Uh, when uh, when automation uh, replaced a lot of jobs. When something changes about work, then one of the things that happens over and over again throughout history is that workers step back and say, "Wait a second, is this an opportunity for me to get a better deal?" Doesn't mean that they don't want to work. It just means that they want better work. And they should. Everybody should want better work. And so that means that a renegotiation takes place and people are less willing to work the kinds of jobs that they did before. And maybe that means that they're going to take some risks and uh, maybe burn through their savings trying to figure out what it is that's next. And some of them are going to figure it out and some of them are not. And they're going to eventually have to kind of go back to the hospitality jobs that they didn't like. Um or uh, new industries are going to be created and they're going to go, um, you know, join those. But whatever the case is, what we're experiencing right now is a version of what we have seen uh, really since the industrialization of America over and over again. It's the exact same thing. And over and over again, people react in the exact same way, which is that all the people who are trying to fill these jobs that people don't want anymore, um, but who are not willing to improve the jobs or pay more for the jobs, uh, start to say, nobody wants to work anymore. Nobody wants to work anymore, but that's not true. People do want to work. They just don't want to work those jobs. And, you know, that's okay. All right. Good answer. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> all right, Jason. Thanks so much. And, and come back on again soon. I, I would love it. Always great to talk. Every day our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. 
Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.